0: fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're, uh, I don't know what day it is of the coronavirus quarantine. I'm not really counting, but it's been a couple weeks now. We still want to roll out these shows here on the Peristyle Podcast. we got to talk some USC Trojan football. Of course, there's a lot of news as far as what's going on just in college sports in general and the sports world in general. People speculating when things could come back, if they will come back. So we're going to talk about a lot of that. Today, we're going to have Dan Weber on the line and Keela Yore, both of them uh, in their respective homes. So we're respecting uh, the social distancing guidelines from the state and across the country. So we're all in different locations, but we wanted to continue to bring this show because we know it's part of your routine and try to keep things as normal as possible during these crazy times, uh, unprecedented times that we just haven't seen before. So we're going to talk about some of the kind of newsy stuff that's been going on around the conference and the NCAA John Wilner's got some interesting quotes from Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, so we'll talk about those. If you have any questions or comments for the show, keep sending them in. We'll keep answering them. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or would you like to call or text us? The number is 424-254-9141. Send us a call. Leave us a voicemail. You can send a text as well. Whatever you want to do, we'll uh, play it on the air, read it on the air, get your thoughts out there. Whatever you would like to talk about during this downtime. We normally would be talking about USC spring football practice. Of course, that is not the case. There was some news out of uh, the Pac-12 that all organized team activities were going to be delayed or or suspended until May 31st. Previously, it was March 29th. So Larry Scott and the Pac-12 extended that. So, uh, you know, less and less chance we'll see any sort of spring activity, the more that gets pushed out. But we'll talk about all that stuff uh, if you know, could there be a delay to the college football season? Could there be a cancellation of the college football season? We sure hope not. We'll talk about all that with Keely Yore, who's on the line. Hello, Keely.
1: Hello, hello. Glad to be here today. I guess not here. Glad to be on the line today.
0: Yeah, I kind of miss having you in the studio, Keely. It's always right? fun to kind of, I could tease you a little. We have some fun, you know, <laughs> drink our diet yeah. Dr. Peppers and, uh, they're all for me. So we, I don't know. I started buying diet, cherry, Dr. Peppers and, and Keely and shotgun, like drink them up fast. I drink, we all drink them fast. Now it's not that fast. Cause I'm the only one in the office now. Uh, we well also-
1: guess what? I, I turned my roommates onto the diet, Dr. Ch- cherry diet, cherry, Dr. Pepper. So it's an addiction in, in my apartment now.
0: Nice. Yeah. Josh, uh, I think he messaged me on Instagram or something. and told me that he brought it in. Cause I had a picture, like I made a meal and I took a picture of it and there was like a diet, cherry, Dr. Pepper there. And he, he's, he commented or something, like they're drinking that at home now Maybe. too. So, Yeah, I don't yeah. know, good stuff. Uh, yeah. We also have Dan Weber on the line. Uh, I don't know if he has the Diet Cherry Dr. Peppers there. They're not a
2: sponsor, by the way. We should
0: get them. Um, what's up, Dan? How are you? Uh,
2: very good and, and and very happy I do not have any Diet Cherry Dr. Peppers. Oh. Uh, other than the diet and the cherry taste <laughs> and the Dr. Pepper taste, I guess that'd be okay. But except for those three... Uh, Three issues. Uh, uh, Doctor Pepper, a little too much Doctor Pepper for me. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, although you know I'm in you know right out here in the middle of uh, you know old white bread Orange County, and uh, where I got some numbers yesterday that are really amazing. There have been uh, the hospitals right now are have a lower capacity. I think it's like sixty one percent, and it's normally like sixty three percent. And I think the ambulance runs, ambulance calls are down and all. That. Orange County is like in a separate universe, I think. And, and sometimes if you watch you know, television, you watch all the news shows and then you say, wait a minute, I'm in Orange County. You know, none of that happens. I don't know if it, that's the case going forward or not, but uh, it's a little bit of a different world, you know, out in Orange County right now.
0: It seems like California is better off then some, I mean, we had the, you know, there was a more, there was an early for LA County and there was an early uh, California from Gav, Gavin Newsom state, you know, stay at home, safer at home mandate. And I think all that stuff helps. There was definitely been some pictures of a lot of people at the beaches and stuff, but it seems like we're okay. I don't know, but I mean, it's obviously it's not a great situation, but it seems like our, you know, our healthcare uh, facilities aren't getting overrun yet. Like we've seen in New York and, and some other countries. So hopefully that keeps going and, all that's a good sign. We all stay home. We all do our part. Then we have a better chance of getting a college football season, which none of us want to see that go away.
2: Yeah. I guess the one downside is, uh, does it take longer for California to get to the apex and then get to the downward slide and finish up? You know, uh, do the places like Washington that got hit first and really bad, uh, do they get to their peak first and then, you know, have the the downside happen sooner? And so for California, where they never get to the, where the hospitals are really pushed and all of that, but does it take a little bit longer because it's a kind of a, a lower density in terms of, uh, of the illness? Uh, I think we'll figure those things out as we go, but, but. You know there are kind of two sides to how how that's working. It might maybe it, it'll last a little longer uh, in California. Yeah, I guess that's the flattening the curve stuff.
0: But I, everyone gets enough coronavirus talk everywhere else. We obviously it's impacting what we're going to be talking about. But um, we want to probably jump into with the 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 Pac-12 and that you know obviously where USC is located. So the news was it came out on Monday that they were going to extend um, the you know the mandatory. Uh, suspension of organized team activities, and there was a lot of details on there. I put up a story Monday morning on USCFootball.com, and maybe we'll get your thoughts on that first before we get to Larry Scott's comments. Um, you know, they the, the athletic directors meet daily uh, at eight thirty. They have a a conference call with Larry Scott. I thought that was great. You know, they come up with these, and they but this for this mandate, this was coming from the the CEO groups. So these are all the presidents that have got together. It ended the suspension of. Spring stuff and all the you know, team activities ended on March 29th. They extended it out through May 31st. And you know the, the nice decision from the NCAA was that spring athletes uh, could get a year of eligibility back. And it's going to be up to the university. So that came out yesterday as well. But for the, the conference in general, there's some different rules, uh, like what you can do. For some reason, football is only allowed uh, two hours per week with their players and, uh, you, you know, over like the you know, Zoom uh, meetings or things like that. And uh, Clay Helton brought that up during when he was talking on Trojans Live. I tweeted that out, and some people were like, why only two hours? And it, it came out from the Pac-12 that other sports are allowed four hours. So, so your football, we have more players, you're, you're allowed less time with your players for some reason. But the Pac-12 did say they were appealing to the NCAA on that one to get football more time. Um, So I'm curious to see what they do. I I wouldn't see why football should have less time than beach volleyball or whatever, but you know, that's, uh, that's just the way it is.
2: I think it was uh, uh, for winter workouts, those time periods uh, because the football players were also getting time for uh, strength and conditioning with their strength and conditioning coaches. uh, And they felt like they were getting so much exposure there and so much, uh, you know, kind of team activities there that they limited football to just two additional hours over and above all the strength and conditioning, uh, you know, with the football coaches. I think they, you know, they just didn't want it to become, you know, strength and conditioning every day, and then football coaches on top of that. So I think it was the the, the feeling that maybe some schools would push that too far if you gave them. Uh, the football coaches as much access as, as maybe, uh, in some of the other sports. So uh, that, that the NCA though, once all of this happened, that they couldn't immediately adjust and say, okay, now the two hours a week is totally inappropriate because nobody's together. Nobody's in a group, you know, it's all going to be remote stuff. Uh, you know, let them do whatever they, you know, whatever they think makes, uh, makes sense because they're not going to be coaching them up. And that 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 not that decision hasn't been made yet tells you everything you need to know about the NCAA. I yeah. mean, um, it's just the bureaucracy there. I mean, it should have been automatic. Should yeah. have happened two weeks ago.
0: It, yeah, it should have. And that's I mean, that's an interesting point, Dan, on that. The other one that kind of stuck out to me, I mean, Keely, I'll get your thoughts on it first and then you, Dan, yeah. too. As far as the live instruction and, you know, one of the, the early bullet points from the Pac-12 was you can send out videos like Aaron Osp can send out like a video, a workout video that players can watch for instruction. But they can't do like a group, you know, body weight workout where you're like, you know, doing jumping jacks and push-ups and things like that. I mean, I did one that morning with one of my instructors from my gym. She's kind of taken upon herself to just create these workouts a few days a week. And you have like 50 people on and you're all doing your burpees or whatever, you know, whatever she's instructing you to do. And I mean, I, I get that, and I talked to an athletic department member, and they said, "Well, they felt like maybe they, if, without personal instruction, this would be a problem." But it's not like they're like going to be doing. Not not everyone has a, a weight bench at their house. It's not like they're going to be yeah. lifting 400 pounds, you know, bunching 400 pounds without a spotter there. Like that's just not the way it's going to be. It's more about you know jumping jacks and burpees and push-ups and whatever you can do in your house because not everyone has equipment. So, and I've read some places where the SEC you can do the live instruction. That one I did maybe I'm making too big of a deal, Keely or Dad, but Keely, you start. Um, I, I don't know why they're like restricting live instruction from your strength coach when that's what everyone's doing right now. Everyone's on Zoom for, you know, happy hours and classroom <laughs> stuff and workouts. You're using it. I don't know why they would not allow the the colleges in the Pac twelve to do that.
1: No, yeah, that stood out to me, too. And and basically, I agree with everything you said already. It just doesn't make sense. Um, maybe they think that you could kind of push the boundaries. If you have someone instructing you online, maybe uh, a head coach is telling the strength and conditioning coach, hey, maybe tell them about this or, you know, maybe they're just trying to be overly precautious. But the thing is, is they're allowing uh, the coaches, the, the strength coaches to Write down instructions uh, to write down the protocols for doing the workouts. You can tape the demonstration, but you just can't do it live. So if this is an issue where you need to see if people are doing the proper workout, it can kind of become a, a an issue as far as health. You know, what if someone's doing the the workout wrong and you can't actually see that for yourself? Uh, I just for some reason it is kind of odd to me because you have to see that these guys are doing the things the right way, right?
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's bureaucrats doing what bureaucrats do, and they've got the power, and they're not going to give it. It's you know, and and with totally not being political, it's what happened, uh, you know, with the testing here uh, in terms of uh, you know the coronavirus, when um, you know the CDC and the you know FDA didn't want to give over power. To private companies, localities, they didn't want to use anybody else's tests. They wanted to develop their own. Didn't develop a, a good test, and and threw us threw, uh, threw us behind. And then recently, you see what happens when you throw it open to all the companies in America. And Abbott comes up with a a test where you get the results in five minutes. And you you know that could have happened, you know, two months ago. But it didn't because the bureaucracy, you know, similar to the NCA, the bureaucracy said, no, you got to go through us. And we're the only ones that are allowed to you know, make this call. That was dumb. But that's, you know, I mean, the bureaucracy is a big problem in this country at every level. I mean, it's just it does things well for the bureaucracy. It doesn't do things well necessarily for the people it's supposed to be, you know, working for and with. We've seen that with the NCAA, you know, all the time, and and it happens that way with big government. Uh, And, you know, sometimes you just got to let people do what, you know, obviously it would work better for the athletes and the coaches if they were allowed to do these things live. And why you would even think about saying you can't do that because it's more effective uh, Is just crazy, and and you're making it more likely that people will, uh, you know, not be ready to go when it's time to go, and uh, that's on the NCAA, and, you know, they ought to be called out for it, and hopefully, you know, everybody will keep calling them out. And that's one of those times where you wonder if the Pac-12 should just say, we're going to do what's best for our our student-athletes and we're going to assume the NCAA will come along later and uh, and change this rule but we're going to be able to do this and and if they don't like it too bad
0: yeah this is one that's a Pac-12 rule and that and I and Keely I agree with you 100% like if you're watching you know when I would do that workout now it's hard we had one instructor and she's got like 50 screens up there but in between like wraps while we're doing stuff she would come in and kind of try to look at people's forms and say things but for USC say Aaron Osmond is running the the workout. You could have the, the other strength coaches watching the monitors and really pointing out like, uh I'm on Ron Brown." Make sure you you know you're uh, keeping your hips square or whatever you know whatever it is. Like I think you could sure. get that live feedback um, and make it a better workout. Which I yeah. So I don't know. It's just one of those stupid things. Maybe it, well, maybe it's an over. Yeah, I think I, don't know.
2: I think when when you're dealing with a large team sport. And now you've basically, you know, sent guys to all four corners of the world. That's one way of bringing them back together as a team. And you really need to be able to bring people, you know, when we're in this world of everybody's remote, uh, to bring them back together. So, from more than just the effectiveness of all the, you know, the drills and all that, uh, there's just a psychology of, you know, we're all in this together and you know, working for the for a common goal. But isn't the Pac-12 saying this is the rule because it's the NCAA rule from what I understand that this is the two hours rule, for example, and they're not live. Uh, you know, I guess they would say you'd have to count the whole, um, you know, instruction period as part of the, the two hours rule. Um, and so I, I just think the PAC 12 could just say, you know, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Um,
0: before we jump into, I want to talk about uh, what Larry Scott said today with with you guys. And John Wilner does a great job. Check out his hotline, the Pac twelve hotline. Um, usually get some exclusive stuff from Larry Scott and things on the Pac twelve. But I wanted to thank uh, Trader Joe's, who've been a great sponsor for us. And uh, you know they're on the they're on the front lines. Basically, you talk about the the medical workers and everyone doing this stuff, but everyone working out in the you know industries where you're trying to get food to the people. Um, it's uh, it's tough out there. So I, I, I talked about last week, my experience going to the Hermosa Beach. Trader Joe's was a great one. They made it feel as normal as possible, which certainly isn't the case all the time. So, uh, you know, tip a cap to everybody uh, working over there at Trader Joe's. They're doing a great job and try to get you in and out of there as quickly as possible. Keep as much food and other items on the shelves as they possibly can. So uh, we're, we're, we're really happy to be part of them. And just wanted to give them a, a shout out here.
2: So. Yeah, I know when I went, they had uh, somebody spraying hand sanitizer when you went in and when you went out. Uh, so uh, that was that was great, and uh, you know they just have great people working, in, you know, in the in the stores, and uh, and you got to give those people so much credit for what they're doing. Uh, you know, to keep everybody going, uh, and uh, uh, just terrific job by. Trader Joe's and everybody else that's uh, out there, uh, you know, serving the public under these, uh, pretty difficult circumstances. Yeah.
0: Agreed. Um, so let's talk about football as far mm-hmm. as the season goes. So with the delay in spring sports, you know, obviously we had to cancel all of the stuff, the, you know, the basketball tournaments and all that, all those winter sports, um, you know, they're done and there's just nothing you can do there. They needed to come up with the eligibility issues with spring sports, and now that's out. So the NCAA set that out, put a lot of it on the universities themselves. Uh, there's going to be some interesting decisions by the universities because do you want to bring everybody back? I know um, uh, Shotgun retweeted out, I think it was Kendall Rogers that did a detailed thing about baseball of what, the, what it means for the, you know, because that's not a headcount sport. You have partial scholarships. So, if you're a senior on the baseball team and you had like a 30% scholarship, USC could bring you back for nothing, for 0% scholarship or 30% up, you know, any in the range of what you already had. It's going to be up to the university and you won't count towards the roster. So, they could still bring in the freshmen and all that stuff. So, you could have extra players on the team. Uh, because of that, and you can, you know, whatever the scholarship limitations. I don't I don't think you could do that in football because it's a headcount sport. It's full scholarship or nothing. Um, but that's not, obviously, that's not a, involved in this because it's not a spring sport. But so they kind of taken care of the spring sport stuff. Now it's like, well, what about the sport that pays all the bills? And that's football. So Larry Scott talked to John Wilner. And so what he said was, this is a quote, uh, in the next week or two, is when they were going to start focusing on what the, you know, what could be you know, the, the outcome of the college football season. He said the optimistic model has an elongated training camp and an on-start time to the season. The most pessimistic has no season at all. So optimistically, things get cleared up, you know, May, June, or whatever. Maybe you get some extra practices in July, where like spring football practices would have been leading into fall camp you get the players ready and you just start the season. Pessimistically, <laughs> there's no season at all. And he you know, there's a lot of details in there I make you know check check it out from John Wilner but you know the television contracts and things uh Larry Scott was basically saying that the ESPN Fox everyone they're all going through this with sports that are happening now. So we'll know a lot more when those sports kind of get figured out if they have a partial season or what the and and NBA say they only do the NBA playoffs and they cancel the rest of the regular season, how that impacts the television contracts. So Larry Scott saying, basically, you kind of have to wait for those big things to happen and it'll give us a better idea of what happens uh, in college football. So he's, he's been on, he's been talking with ESPN and Fox, and it's really about the NBA, NFL, baseball, NASCAR, like all those things are going to happen first. He said, by the time we see an impact on football, our TV partners will figure it out how to adapt an abbreviated season with what they're doing in the NBA and the NFL baseball and NASCAR. He says, there's a long-term view. People want to be fair. There will be an industry approach. Um, So uh, maybe start with you, Keely, get your thoughts on, um, you know, the potential of not having a college football season.
1: Man, I, it's, I, I said this on television. It's hard for me to fathom it, but at the same time, I, when it comes to this, I kind of lean more pessimistically just because, when it comes to college athletes, student athletes, and all the logistics and variables involved with putting on a football season, I, I only see two options where as a whole, as a country, as a nation, we get over this sooner rather than later. That's a very optimistic viewpoint. And then uh, once we're clearly out of the woods, then you can tack on those extra practices and lead into a full season. Or if it drags on and it's, it's delayed and it doesn't seem like this is the healthy option for uh, us as a society, let alone as student athletes, then I just don't think, I don't see the season happening for college football, just because there's so many variables that it's not like the NBA where it's a smaller team, smaller personnel, where you might be able to do, do it. And it's a professional sport. So you have these guys waiting around to do their jobs, whereas these are 18 to 21 year olds who still have to focus on school, their families, and other uh, issues like that. So, to me, either it's the best case scenario or worst case scenario because I can't see a modified season happening. Just because the conferences, scheduling, traveling—it just seems like an all or nothing type of deal for me.
2: Yeah my my take would be I think Brian Kelly at Notre Dame kind of hit a. a, a A scenario that I that I like that he thought that if you could get them back together in June for for strength and conditioning work, uh, you know, on campus and um, and get them for a few weeks there, he he thought that you needed to have three or four weeks of organized weight uh, strength and conditioning work on campus before you could really get into practice. Now, would you let them have you know a couple of weeks off in July or whatever, and, and you'll give them one week, uh, you know, extended um, fall camp and, and go for, you know, full weeks? Uh, or do you try to, you know, telescope, uh, bring the weight and conditioning work into the end of June and early July and then go right into, into fall camp? I mean, those are two scenarios that, that I, you know, I think work. Um, and the question is, how are colleges and how are the states that they're in allowing you know things to happen? Uh, I mean, and colleges has got to make have some really tough decisions. I was reading in the Cincinnati Enquirer the other day, Miami of Ohio, which is kind of the the best campus and the you know best academics and all of that in the Mid American Conference and has traditionally been this you know really great uh, great school. I think Tim Drevno's daughter goes there, but they're looking at a 20% enrollment decline for the fall. The kids aren't making commitments to come back to school and that they're talking about having to lay off, you know, 150 professors, probably not going to lay off that many administrators, unfortunately. But uh, uh, so I don't know if the colleges can, uh, can kind of, you know, say, well, we'll just keep on going with the uh, online classes, because I think they get to a very a, a place where college students are going to say, you know, is it worth it for me to be spending this kind of money to be getting, you know, online lectures and all of that? I think there's a there's a real dangerous tipping point for the colleges if they don't get back, uh, if there's a chance, you know, and you got the health statistics and all that are going to determine that. But I think, you know, if it's we come back or we don't come back, you know, flip a coin, you know, do you say, well, we got to be super safe? What if one kid, you know, for example, does USC say, you know, if one kid tests positively, we've got to close down the whole campus, uh, then you can't come back. I mean, then they won't come back. If one player tests positively, you cut, you know, you shut down the whole program. If that's the case, you can't come back. You have to have a situation where you have the kind of testing of everybody, uh, almost instantaneous, which it looks like we're, you know, going to be at maybe this week. And then you have to have uh, some of the, uh, you know, the various treatment regimens with uh, existing medicines to say, okay, if you do get it and you do this with this medicine that they're testing now in in fairly large groups in New York City, for example, uh, that you'd be able to, Uh, knock it down within five or six days and you wouldn't have people, you know, going into the ICU and needing, needing ventilators. If you don't have that, you probably can't talk about coming back. But in the next two months, we'll see if, if we're able to figure it out. So where you say, okay, it was terrible when we had no answers for it. But if it becomes more like the flu where, yes, some people die, and actually 50 or 60,000 die every year. Uh, but nobody stops going out because of the regular flu. Um, so, you know, do we get to that place in the next two months? I don't know. I, I mean, I think we can't even begin to guess. Uh, and do every does every state come up with the same answer? I mean, you know, if you're in the Pac-12, California is in a very difficult, a different place from Oregon, from Washington, from Arizona from Utah, from Colorado. You know, Colorado's had some real outbreaks, uh, but Utah hasn't. Um, Washington has had, you know, obviously uh, a terrible time of it. Oregon hasn't. And California, for a big state, is like one-tenth of New York. Uh, So it's, you know, to get all of those states on the same, you know, place uh, as far as allowing sports, for example, or allowing school, uh, it's going to, that's, that's going to take a lot. And, you know, two, two months ought to be enough time. We would think, you know, if, if the examples in other places around the world, two months gives you a pretty good example, you know, idea of where it's going to be and and what's going to be the deal. But, uh, boy, I think right now all we're doing is guessing.
0: Yeah. We're, we're kind of guessing at this point and we're, we're hopeful that things can uh, proceed. We just don't know. It's it, this is unprecedented. We just haven't seen anything like this before. I think that first day when the NBA can't, you know, suspended the season, you didn't think that was even a possibility. You're like, whoa! Everyone takes it like, okay, this is serious. Um, so we'll see. we you know, I, I think the delay of all the suspensions and everything, you know, over the next month, month and a half, you know, four to six weeks, we should know so much more about where things are, you know, there's the good thing about, and Dan, you mentioned it, all the private companies working hard to do things. If it's Elon Musk making uh, ventilators or whoever, you know, people coming up with different vaccines and all this kind of stuff. There's just a lot of people working on it, which is great. I mean, that's like the American ingenuity. So they're, they're putting a lot of resources in this and, you know, it changes daily and hopefully over the next couple of weeks, maybe the changes are all going to be towards the positive and not mostly towards, the negative, but it's uh, I I think financially and Keeley will get you first. I think the the unspoken um, when you talk about athletics and Larry Scott was big with this. You know, you're kind of focusing on all the other sports that the Pac-12 wins at, but not, you know, now more than ever, you just realize football drives the boat. Like if football doesn't happen, none of those other sports can happen. And I I, I feel like there's going to be a lot more focus on hey, if we can make the football season happen safely, we kind of have to because monetarily, a lot of athletic departments are going to be struggling to get by if football goes away. We've already seen you know, less money distribution. I think uh, John Wilner said probably a million dollars per school in the Pac-12 just for the NCAA tournament going away. Um, if the football season doesn't happen and you're not going to get paid on those television contracts I don't even know what I mean I I think sports you know certain sports would probably have to be like oh you might see those bigger support staffs for football kind of some of that getting cut down I mean there could be a lot of cuts if football doesn't happen so uh, get your thoughts on that Keely.
1: Yeah I mean it's worst case scenario I wonder if some universities have insurance policies if something like this were to happen that they can um, act on but With the football season, you know the cash cow kind of in flux right now, it makes you wonder what universities are going to do in terms of the decision for spring seniors, because that's up to the universities how much they want to financially back those seniors. And if you're looking at your main source of income, maybe not being existent in 2020, does that then affect what you do now when you don't really have the answer for what's happening in fall? So, I, there's a lot of financial decisions and a lot of financial uncertainty for these colleges. And we've talked about it. USC is not really in the greatest place when it comes to uh, financial stability. So I feel like there's a lot of tough si- decisions that will have to be made going forward. But, of course, I think, like you said, Ryan, they're going to want to make sure if there's a possibility, if there's a way to get their moneymaker uh, to go on. They're going to try and do uh, do that because otherwise I think it's going to be really tough for colleges Uh, especially not outside of the Pac-12, the the smaller colleges, what does this mean for them? We could see the the ending of, of football programs just because they have no other option financially.
2: You know, I think one of the interesting things would be next year, let's say, you know, the worst case scenario happens and you cancel football. How in the world do you then say, oh, but we should be able to play basketball and volleyball and, you know, baseball and softball and, you know, whatever, how that would be crazy. I mean, it would be crazy if the sport that pays for all those other sports doesn't happen. And then you go ahead and and play those other sports because of the way the calendar breaks. I think they've got to figure out under any circumstances, how they make football happen. I, I just think, or, you know, take the chance of losing the whole year. Uh, And then what does that do for everything, you know, that has anything to do with college sports? I mean, how do you how do you survive that? I mean, how do you keep people on at the Pac-12? How do you you do you you, can you keep paying Larry Scott, you know, four point two million dollars a year? Uh, Do you keep the Pac-12 networks? Don't you just dissolve them? Uh, uh, You know, I mean, basically. There, there would be you know, no college sports. I mean, you know, the the only good news might be then you could have an excuse to disband the NCAA administration. because uh, we don't need you anymore. But uh, boy, it's so hard to envision a world where college football doesn't happen. I mean, if college football doesn't happen ne- next fall, I would think we've got way more problems than just college sports. than then the problems are. They're gonna be you know so widespread that uh, uh, America's really gonna have to figure out you know then we are at war uh, you know with uh, with the coronavirus and uh, you know all bets are off uh, but heck they played college football through uh, through World War two they didn't play it everywhere maybe, but uh, they actually they did the best they could and they you know played baseball and played you know. The NFL, I don't think the NBA was quite in existence yet, but uh, uh, this would be unprecedented. I mean, it's, this, this kind of thing, it, it never happened before in American history.
0: Yeah. This is uh, i Oh, go ahead, Keely.
1: Sorry, Ryan. Could you see a scenario where then, whenever the schedule becomes quote unquote normal again, where sports, college sports are then played in order of, I guess, financial importance, where you'd see football maybe start in December or in January? And have a season played out then, and then maybe shorten the off season, and then get back to fall
2: again. See, I think you could do that in the SEC. I think you could do it in the. Uh, you could do it in some of the Big Twelve or most of the Big Twelve. You could do it in the Pac Twelve. I don't know if you could do it in the and uh, maybe the ACC. The Big Ten would be a problem playing college football December, January, uh, you know, February might really be an issue. But that, that's a that's a great thought uh and maybe you know the big ten had have to schedule a bunch of games in <clears throat> places like the who's you know whatever it's called now the rca dome and uh in, in indianapolis i don't know where else they could uh, you know play games inside but uh that would be interesting could they put a lightweight roof on some of these stadiums uh you know it's not like you know the technology is such that you could do that a lot easier than you used to but uh that's I a, that's a, I haven't heard anybody say that. Hey, Kelly, that's a heck of an idea. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Know. I mean, title nine comes into all this too, right? So like, yeah. if, if you start canceling sports, you can't cancel football. Cause that's bringing in the money. It'll probably be a lot of the men's sports that get canceled first. But, um,
1: but at, at what point are you in the wild, wild West where you kind of just have to, anything goes at this point,
0: you know, like when do you,
1: kind of throw out the regular rules and just do what's best for your college or or college sports in general
0: yeah yeah i don't know um it is i mean we talk about the demise of the ncaa like maybe this is part of it where people figure you know people figure out like dan was saying people figure out you know what do i really need to pay seventy thousand dollars a year and go to college when i could just do i could do a lot of different stuff with that money and take classes online like why am i doing that um, maybe it's this thing where schools kind of figure out, like, do we really need the NCAA kind of, you know, demanding what we do all the time? Like, let's just, let's just group a bunch of the the top 64 universities together and, and make something. So who knows, maybe this is a catalyst for something bigger that changes the entire college football landscape going forward.
2: Yeah. I mean, I could see the power five saying, you know what, here's our decision, we don't care what your decision is. And and do you just take your football programs away from the NCAA or whatever and say, look, we need, you know, more flexibility in what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, and I'm sorry, we're not going to be ruled by, you know, the other hundreds of schools at, at other levels. And, and, and this could be the catalyst for that, I would think, where they need to, you know, where the SEC says, hey, we need to do some things and we're going to do them. We're in, you know, good weather. Um, if you look at the map that shows all the uh, states uh, with the limited travel bans, I think the only state in the SEC country that's limiting travel right now is Louisiana. All the other states, they haven't gone there. And Florida, I think, has been a little, a bit, a little slow to get there. But, uh, but you're talking about, you know, parts of the country that do things differently. And, you know, I would think some people would say, well, is the, what if the SEC says, we don't care, we're playing, we're getting that CBS money, we're getting that, you know, all of our TV contracts, they're already making more money than everybody else, or they're going to be. Uh, would the rest of the schools say, oh, okay, you can go ahead and play No, I don't think. Uh, Again, with all the legalities involved and, you know, the national, you know, uh, decisions that are going to be made, the statewide decisions that are going to be made, I think, you know, there are so many scenarios that could play out that this is, you almost might not even be able to, you know, game this out. There are just so many possibilities of what could happen, but you better be pretty, uh, you know, uh, light-footed and nifty as far as. Is is being able and flexible? Flexibility and,
0: is key right now because everything is changing, Dan. That's a, I mean, it's a great point. You have to be flexible. All everything that you know, basically everything you believed in, is now up in smoke. You just, it's just all everything has changed. So if you're not going to be flexible and you're going to see the NCAA like dig their heels in on certain things, I think that's when you're going to get in the most trouble. That's when the Power Five could say, you know what, screw you, we're going to go on and do something else. So. That's a great point. You know, it happened a little
2: bit. It happened a little bit in terms of the coronavirus where the, you know, the FDA and the CDC said, no, slow down. Wait a minute. We need to. And finally they broke through all the red tape and said, no, we're not doing it that way. That's not working. We're, you know, we're turning it over to, you know, private people and we're going to run as fast as we can and try to get this, you know, solved. I think that would happen in college sports. They would say if the NCAA, slows anything down uh they're going to be gone i think in, in terms of their impact is certainly in college football because mm-hmm. the college football is not going to wait for the NCA. again this is if the scenario that we've seen in other countries that maybe started sooner than america uh, in terms of the coronavirus the way it's playing out there if that's how it plays out here in the next two months uh but you know The NCAA, I think, is in some danger here at this point. When when you know that the Pac-12 is actually talking to one another, listening to one another, that everybody's involved every day. I mean, there were years when Larry Scott didn't talk to the athletic directors. He only talked to the presidents of the schools. It was like, yeah, I don't need to talk to the athletic directors. Yeah, they're below me. And the athletic directors in the Pac-12 for years felt like nobody paid any attention to them. Because Larry would go straight to the uh, the president. He's not doing that now. No, and that's actually a good thing.
0: No, it's definitely What's, a good thing. i oh, sorry, Kayla. Go ahead.
1: No, you're good. What's the legality or enforcement of the NCAA? Say the Pac-12 wanted to do its own thing. I guess would the the Pac-12 then have to give back its distribution money? Where? How much power does the NCAA really really have over these conferences?
0: Mm, that's a good
2: point. Uh, uh, you know, if, if if the decision is. The, you know, 20 or 30 million we get from college football TV or the million we get from the NCAA basketball tournament, they're not even a decision to be made there. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, duh. Come on. Uh, and, and could you take out your football and everybody, you know, say, hey, football is not part of the NCAA anymore. We'll still be part of the NCAA for the other things. But we'll, you know, we're going to take our football to a different play. I mean, in some ways, college football already does that because they cut out the NCAA from all uh, uh, administration and, and any decision making or any uh, ability to get any of the money from the bowl games. And then when they set up the college football playoffs, they They completely kept the NCAA out of it, and the NCAA doesn't get any of the TV money at all. So the colleges themselves have already kept the NCAA from getting their hands on college football as much as possible. This would just maybe take it to the uh, ultimate degree where they don't have anything to do at all with college football. The NCAA knows that. I think, you know, I think they'd have to be pretty much saying to the uh, Power 5 schools, whatever you want to do, that's good with us. Fine. You guys figure it out. Uh, and, and you know, the SEC is going to lead the way there in the Big Ten. And, you know, the Pac-12 just has to be ready to go with it. The Pac-12 probably has maybe the easiest uh, route of all of these schools in terms of, of how the disease is playing out. You know, the one place that really got hit, Washington – Got hit really badly, really early. But by, you know, in another couple of months, that may have played out a little bit. And the rest of the, you know, the PAC 12 isn't impacted maybe with the severity that you're seeing in in the so called hot spots. Uh, It just doesn't seem to be happening. So the PAC 12 might be in a a fairly good position to, you know, make some moves by the summer. Uh, We can only hope.
0: All right. Uh, Keely, anything else before we jump into questions? You cool?
1: I think that's it for now.
0: Um, we have, uh, so if the season starts, if we say, you know, the end of May comes around and there's a decision made by the Pac-12 or the NCAA that there's going to be like an extended camp that starts in the middle of July or something like that and then moves into the season and everything goes on. One of those weeks of practice might be something that Clay Elton has called mock game week in the past. Um, we've talked about Mock Game Week where it's been, we've seen great things, but then the, after that, they don't really do anything that's related to a game and then in the, the season doesn't look the same. Um, we have a question from Curtis, though, who doesn't like some of the criticism that we've uh, laid, as bestowed upon Mock Game Week. So I'll play it for you and then get your thoughts. Here you go.
3: Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Mock Game Week came up on the last podcast. Let's all go back and listen to the original podcast on Mock Game Week. Remember, week is singular, not the week after and not the week after that, which is what happened. During Mock Game Week, you guys came back saying how great it was because they were hitting. They were being real physical and competing. The next week they walked through, and the week after that they walked through and Alabama killed us. I actually called after you guys raved about the original Mock Game Week and said that we need to have Mock Game Week every week. Not wait till the next week and don't do it anymore. Don't forget, Dan, they hit during Mock Game Week. It needs to go week to week, and they need to keep hitting week to week. You forgot about that. After they hit, they didn't hit anymore. They never did mock game week again. They should bring it back because they hit. Curtis from Moreno Valley.
2: I don't know, Curtis. I think you're having one of those uh, recovered memory things that really didn't (laughs) actually happen. The problem with mock game week was it was to be exactly like the first game week which, as you correctly said, looked like a glorified walkthrough. So you had two weeks of not hitting. I mean that was the problem. <clears throat> when it first happened was we really liked fall camp that year, getting ready. They were you know, young guys and, and a lot of talent. and they had competed pretty well in spring, and I thought really well the first, and that was a year you were allowed. you basically had an extra week in, in fall camp. So they started in the end of July hit three good weeks, and then hit mock game week. And the reason we mock mock game week is, you know, it's bad enough to put the brakes on the week before you're going to play Alabama. But if you put it on two weeks before, uh, I don't think I've ever seen them hit in mock game week or have ever said they were hitting in mock game week because they weren't. And that was the problem. And by the time they got to Alabama, uh, what they had been doing at the beginning of fall camp, taking basically two weeks off, uh, didn't prepare them at all uh, for Alabama, uh, certainly Alabama's defense. I mean, they just weren't – they were not there. And so, so Curtis, I don't, I don't think your memory is exactly correct. Mock game week means we're going to do every – we're going to practice like we're going to be – it was like, we're going to practice for practice. So we're going to practice game week an extra week. It's like, why? Who who needs to practice to, to not practice very much. So the whole concept of mock game week, I mean, you could be hopeful and say, you know, maybe what you've done already is going to carry you through a little bit, but once you went through it and saw two weeks of, of not hitting, uh, you were in no way prepared uh, you know, for Alabama. And I just got off the phone with, with Coach Nivar, uh, who talks about you can't even think about you're going to go out and hit on Saturday if you don't hit during the week. He said, you can't do that. He said, you can't even begin to come up with a scenario where that makes sense. He said, you know, football, you know, is it's running at, running at people and hitting them. And if you don't do that in practice, you aren't ready to do that in games. And the whole concept of mock game week is kind of, we're not going to do that. Well, doesn't make any sense. So uh, no, Curtis, I don't think it happened the way you think it happened.
1: <laughs> okay. I, do, I don't want to contradict Dan here, but I actually remember being very positive about mock game week because they were hitting. It was the week after uh, that they didn't hit. They did all the walkthroughs. So I think I actually agree with Curtis. I, I'm Everything he said, I think was, true in my book because what we wanted them to do was continue the intensity we saw in that one mock game week but then they just hit the break so I, I, in my opinion I remember them hitting hard in mock game week it was the weeks after that it just they hit the breaks and just switched gears completely so I think for me it was the fact that mock game week showed that they knew what they needed to do and they did it and then they didn't do it the rest of the season so for me that's why we don't mention mock game week is because it it was it showed that they knew the right answer. They just didn't want to do
0: it. Was there hitting on the Saturday when the, the actual game was supposed to happen, but not like – like the only other day there could have been hitting would have been like a Tuesday because that would have been the full pads day. I, but I don't quite remember. Yeah, I,
2: I, think the thing, I think the thing that hurt them, especially that Alabama year, was they tried to come up with new things in the, the mock game week and game week. They tried to do new stuff. That they hadn't done, and they thought they were going to fool Alabama, you know. And they were doing stuff, and they weren't doing it while they were hitting, doing it. They were doing it more at kind of you know glorified walkthrough speed, and it just didn't work against Alabama's you know quickness and toughness on defense. And uh, you know, I think basically uh, you know, they might have had a little bit of carryover from the fall camp. Where they did compete and they did actually, you know, compete for positions and things like that. But I think the hitting that happened in Mock Game Week was mostly a little bit of a carryover, but it wasn't the thought of what they were doing in Mock Game Week. And Mock Game Week, unfortunately, they were going to surprise Alabama and they were going to do things that Alabama hadn't seen on film, and you know, and and that didn't. The emphasis was not on hitting. The emphasis was on uh, scheming and doing it differently and catching them by surprise and all that, as opposed to toughness and, you know, physicality and and playing fast and all of that. And, and, and knowing what you were doing by changing things, uh, they didn't really know what they were doing and you're trying to play Alabama. You better know what, what you were doing. So whatever there was in mock game week that, that we saw, I actually don't remember, um, uh seeing much, you know, hitting at all. Uh but whatever, I think it was a carryover from the fall camp and not so much the the concept of mock game week because mock game week is supposed to be like game week. Well clearly the concept for game week is not to do almost any hitting. So yeah. that was the concept of mock game week in my mind and in the players' mind unfortunately.
0: Yeah. No that, that makes sense. Um Thanks, Curtis, for the, the email. Is I mean, the uh, voicemail as usual. Uh, what else we got, Keely?
1: Let's go to an email from Brett C. from Knoxville, Tennessee. He says, hi, Ryan, Keely, and Dan. My question is for all three of you guys. If USC happened to lose to ASU in Colorado last season, would Clay Helton been fired? I'd like to get your guys' opinion on this. Huge fan of the podcast. Thank you, and fight on.
2: You would surely think so. I mean, you would think... Again, we still don't know all the details of this poison pill contract that if, you know, there's a firing and all of that. And we we certainly heard it hinted to, alluded to, and all of that. Would USC, I mean, would they, for example, have looked differently at, you know, a, a booster who says, I'm going to underwrite Urban Meyer completely? And I'll help you raise the money to buy clay out. It hit with two more losses last year, and uh, so what would that have been? That'd have been uh, six and six, and and, and a, a really a minor bowl game, and with the possibility of being six and seven. Um, I would think things would have turned out differently. Yeah, I would think it would have been real. I mean, if they look at what what happened after you know, going to the Holiday Bowl with eight wins um, and how negative the reaction has been, what would the reaction have been keeping Clay with two more losses? It's almost impossible to imagine uh, that scenario. But, uh, you know, with the new president a new AD and newly discovered possible... Uh, you know, poison pill contract that you know multiple millions of dollars that you didn't realize you were might might have to pay out. I don't know. Uh, I I would think not, but man, I don't know.
0: That's a tough one. I I mean, I I feel like my gut says yeah, they would have to fire him because it was such a tough call. But with the timing of everything that was going on, it wasn't a successful season, and six and six and eight and four. Neither of them are successful seasons, so I mean, how much it's you know it's less sex- successful to be six and six. Um, maybe the Colorado loss, ASU. We talked about this before with Jaden Daniels playing. I think USC probably loses that game. Mm-hmm. Colorado, that would have been tougher. Like that's a that's a pretty bad lo- like ASU. I don't think is going to be a bad loss. They'll they'll be one of the favorites in the South uh, this year. Um, but the Colorado one, I think that would be a that would be a bad one. I mean, they end up firing their coach. You lose. Or oh, not fire, I'm sorry, they didn't fire their coach. His coach ends up leaving, but you know, that yeah, was a five that fair. was a five and seven team. And so I guess they would have been five hundred there. But you know, that's, you're basically losing to an under five hundred squad. You know, with the kind of roster USC had, that's just not. And the way the offense was rolling, that I don't think that'd be acceptable. But we've been wrong before we talked about but my <laughs> my gut would say, yeah, they would have had to fire him.
1: I feel like it would have been, like Dan said, the backlash would have been even worse, but I don't know if that necessarily changes anything in the contract that made the decision what it was this time around. But I don't know. I mean, I think, too, for the smart fan, they kind of saw that the Arizona State game and the Colorado game were almost losses, and that enough was an indictment in itself. So does it change? I don't know, because I think... The, the scenario of Mike Bone coming in in November, the contract and all of those variables don't change. And I think that's what actually made the decision rather than the record or how they looked on the field.
2: I think the one difference might have been the panic would be so great uh, at the finish of the season that when a booster said, you know, if they pay Urban Meyer $8 million a year, I'll pay for it. Uh, that might have been looked at differently if USC was six and six at the time and going to a a a bad bowl game. Uh, USC might have said uh, that makes me a little nervous, uh, the Urban Meyer thing. But I don't know. We, you know, they may have kind of said, you know, if somebody's willing to help us out that much, I don't know. Either way we go is. It, it, We got, you know, there might be issues, but I think that would have been the one place it would have been different. They would have looked differently upon the person who was willing to put that kind of money into the USC football program at that time, and maybe would have said, you know, we'll just have to hope that we can work it all out with Urban and that he, uh, you know, some of the issues from Florida and Ohio State don't don't come back here. Uh, But I think they would have looked differently on the uh, outside help at that point in time yeah. just a thought
1: shall we go to our final email
0: right yeah let's let's do it we need to make sure people send in the emails because we haven't we didn't get as many this week so uh yeah you guys got time you should be home <laughs> you have time to, to write yeah. some emails or exactly or yeah
1: So it's from our buddy Dan, class of 1962, who is low-key exposing me for my lack of USC football history and thus my lack of uh, ability to uh, pronounce these names, so uh, bear with me. But he says, Hi, Dan, Ryan, and Keeley. A special thank you to Dan for sharing his research about USC football history. I highly recommend recommend his book to all Trojan fans. In the late 40s and during the 50s, USC had some up-and-down years. Jess Hill became coach in 1951 and converted Frank Gifford from a second stringer to a first-string tailback. Led led USC to a 7-0 record before they lost to a Stanford team with All-American Don McCall, who graduated and became a prominent doctor. But their big win was at Cal during the win streak. Cal had been conference champs for three years, uh, 1948 to 1950, but lost all three Rose Bowl games. In 1951, uh, that was also the year that the Pacific Coast Conference introduced a no-repeat Rose Bowl rule like the Big Ten had. The Big Ten had the rule that the beginning of the Rose Bowl rivalry the Big Ten had that role from the beginning of the Rose Bowl rivalry with the 1948 game that USC lost to Michigan, 48-0, the start of the downfall of coach Jeff Car- Car- Carvath.
2: Carvath, yeah. <laughs>
1: like, like I said, can't pronounce. Uh, I might also add that Jess Hill will, was both a football and baseball player at USC and played baseball for the New York Yankees before returning to USC as a coach and later athletic director. Thanks for letting me share my historic memories, fight on, and win Dan, class of 1962. P.S. If it weren't for Jess Hill, Hill, recognizing Frank Gifford's talent in 1951, his senior year, we wouldn't have an NFL NFL Hall of Famer and iconic Trojan.
0: Uh, real quick, Keely, it's it's Jess Heil. They don't say Hill. And it's Frank Gifford.
1: No, you're <laughs> messing with me. <laughs> I was worried, but I know you're a troll, Ryan.
2: <laughs> See that—that's where USC made, or the Pac-12 or Pac-8, I guess, uh, <clears throat> made the mistake of following the Big Ten because the Big Ten could have a no-repeat rule because they could send Michigan one year and Ohio State the next year, and they didn't care. Whereas the Pac-12, you know, at the time USC Pac-8 uh, wasn't all that good, but it was about all that the Pac-8 had and uh in the years when USC could repeat they probably should have repeated and uh you know, sometimes that uh following the Big 10 uh wasn't necessarily the way to go but uh yeah those were some not so special USC teams uh and and it really depends it's all about the head coach so far and uh you know 100 whatever years how many years of USC football it's been about the head coach. If you, if you have a great head coach, you're going to win national championships. It's that simple. And if they're not, things are going to not look so good. They're going to be struggles. It's, it's amazing. The difference, uh, you either, you are either that guy and USC is that team or you're not, but when you're not, it's, Kind of ugly at USC. It's, USC doesn't do well as that like nine and three, ten and two team that you know wins a big bowl game or whatever, but doesn't win the conference. That's just not who USC is. They're either up there at the top, or they're kind of struggling in the middle somewhere. And uh, it's uh it, it's you know you, you pretty much have to have that guy running that running the program. You really do. So far, anyway. Yeah, that's what history tells us.
0: All right. Um, Well, I guess that's wrapping up. Nothing else, Keely, right?
1: Nope, that wraps it up.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Thanks for everyone for sending in the questions, and thanks, you know, obviously for listening. We try to you know bring a little normalcy to your life with the continuation of the Peristyle podcast. We do our Tunnel Vision shows on Sunday night. Uh, I'm going to try to do a little special thing. Check out uscfootball.com on Thursday. Um, talking to some USC related people that maybe aren't around the team right now, but maybe have some history with the team. So I'm trying a new feature out. We'll see if it comes to fruition. But I'll, uh, I won't say anything about it until we actually are any more specific about it until we actually get it rolling. Um, we got all these plans, you know, like it's it's hard because we have more time to do stuff. But it's also hard to be motivated. You know, like some of the time you're like, I could do that. I could do that. But it's it's weird, just because we're in such a weird time. Like sometimes it's hard to get motivated and do that new thing that you actually have time to do now.
2: I know one thing; I don't miss the commute, uh, so yeah. that time is uh, especially you know coming from Orange County. But uh, but you you know and and there are enough people to talk to and enough things. But it, it will get to that point where we really do need to you know see things kind of. Uh, starting in June where you can figure out scenarios where this can all go together and, and, and make it work. And, and that's just gotta be uh, what we look at every day and figuring out how can we make this work if we get to the summer and we're, we're all moving in the right direction? Because I will say this, if they get to the college football season on time, USC will have an opportunity in playing Alabama on a day when the lead in could well be the uh, Kentucky Derby, uh, to make the kind of impact that actually says, Hey, we're back. Uh, cause that game will be watched by a whole lot of people who are just, you know, so in need of live sports and, uh, college sports. And so, uh, you know, there is an upside and there is an opportunity for USC in that game to be playing Alabama. And you just have to, you know, when those opportunities come, that's what happened, you know, when Pete got it going. Uh, that's what happened when John McKay got it going. When you had an opportunity to play somebody like an Alabama, you got to make it happen. So at least that opportunity is there. I don't know if if everybody saw that uh, USC on two different betting sites is – uh, uh, top 10 in terms of, you know, pick to win the national championship. So I think it's going to be interesting for the people who say, don't buy anything. Don't buy any tickets. Don't support them. Don't do anything until they get rid of clay. If you're going into a season where the rest of the country thinks you got a chance, you know, to make the playoffs, you got a chance to, you know, be a top 10 uh, pick for the national championship. You've got one of the, I guess, what, top six Heisman Trophy uh, possibilities uh, in Keaton Slovis. Some people maybe are going to have to make a you, know, a, a, you know, do they hate Clay Helton so much that they can't get behind this team that does have, you know, in many people's you know, eyes, a real chance uh, to, to do something special and, you know, get started right away. Uh, you know, they don't have to wait around but it's uh, going to be interesting to see maybe how some people solve that dilemma for themselves in terms of well I want USC football to be good but I don't want it to be good with Clay Helton there and da. da, da. I don't think you got a choice this year if if you want them to be good Clay Helton's here you know that's uh, that's the deal
0: yeah all right well I guess we're going to wrap things up uh, that's Keely Yore, Dan Weber I'm Ryan Abraham everyone please stay home stay safe uh, keep doing your part and hopefully we'll all get through this. I'm sure we will just want to do it soon enough that we can actually have a college football season. Cause that's what we all want. So uh, thanks again for listening. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time, how we manage to have such unique interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business.